So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. Hey, Crow, how's things? Hi, Graham. You all right? Yeah, I know. I'm just tired. I had a nightmare last night. Nightmare? Oh, my goodness. Mm. No, no, don't tell me. I bet it was about the dark web, wasn't it? You don't have to worry about that. I know these guys. They are the real-time threat intel experts. They've got machine learning technology. They're analysing the open and the dark web, offering great insight into emerging threats. Sign up to Recorded Futures newsletter and you will get those latest insights in your inbox every morning, scaring away the nightmares. Go to recordedfuture.com slash intel. Um, is there anything about vampire cats in that? You'll have to sign up to see if that's the kind of nightmares you're having. Recordedfuture.com slash intel. Probably not so much on the vampire cats, though. Smashing Security, Episode 13. Assaulted with a deadly tweet with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to Smashing Security episode 13, where we'll be discussing all the interesting things which have been happening in the world of computer security in the last seven days. And as ever, I am joined by my good buddy, Carole. Hello, Carole. Hello, Graham. And we're also joined this week by a special guest. Yes, we have dragged in a veteran of the computer security industry who's held senior positions at a long list of technology companies for many, many decades, including the likes of Malwarebytes, which I'm sure many listeners have heard of. It is Mr. Alex Eckelbury. Hello, Alex. Well, hello, Graham. Hello, Carol. Hello. How are things, Alex? How are things going? <laughs> things, are, things, are, things, are, things are actually great. Thank you for asking. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. I'm glad things have been going great for you because... I was just going to ask, Graham, how have things been for you since our last podcast? Well, if you remember, last time we chatted, I was out in Kuwait um, doing a little gig. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a spot of bother on the way home, which actually <laughs> caught the attention of the media. And I thought, should I just... Understatement of the year. Should I brush this under the carpet or should I acknowledge it on the podcast, I wondered. And I, I decided maybe I should come clean. So... The question on everybody's lips is, is Graham Cluley a Nazi? And the reason why you might be asking that is because my Twitter account 
um, posted some Nazi propaganda um, last week, um, which was pretty embarrassing for me, to be honest, although I wasn't aware initially that it occurred because I was actually flying from Kuwait to Dubai Airport. Wow. And the first, the first I knew of it was I got off the plane. And the first thing anybody does, right, when they get off a plane is they turn on their smartphone. And um, I got this message from a journalist I know at the Financial Times saying, would you like to comment about your Twitter account? And I'm like, why does the FT want to know about my Twitter account? And then I got another one from another British journalist saying, well, what's going on with your Twitter account? And I thought, oh, my word. So I had a look, <clears throat> and I'd seen that it posted this message. Now, at first, I thought, oh, crikey, has my Twitter password been grabbed somehow? But, you know, I've got two-step verification enabled on my Twitter right, account. So right, even if they've got my... right. You followed all our advice. Yeah, even <laughs> if they've got my password, they shouldn't be able to get in. Um but I thought maybe I'd connected to the Wi-Fi or something. You know, who who knew what had happened? But anyway, fortunately, it turned out that it wasn't just me had been affected. There were hundreds of Twitter mm -hmm. accounts which had posted the same message. And what they all had in common was that they had connected to their Twitter account a third-party service called Twitter Counter. And Twitter Counter had been hacked. And, and what, uh, is, what does Twitter Counter do? So Twitter Counter... <laughs> <laughs> No, no, tell me, tell me. Tell oh, me. It's, not, it's, it's not a vanity thing, is it? Yeah, oh, oh, yeah. Just, it's just a... Uh, so it counts the number of fans you have, the oh, number of followers. Cruel, cruel, you are so, cruel. so narcissistic. It's not just counting them. It's just sort of putting them into a nice graph. Oh. So you can see. And, and you know, I had you, well, I had connected this to my Twitter account, I think about three years ago or something. I tried to And you completely forgot about it. Never used it. And I'd forgotten about it. And, and of course, it, it says, oh, we want both read and write access to your account. And the reason why it wants write access is so it can... It can, if you want it to, tweet out, hey, I've used Twitter counter and it found out that I've got this many followers, or whatever, you know. And I've obviously never allowed it to do that because that would be stupid. Um, but it just sat there lurking. And then, of course, <laughs> yeah. it posted this Nazi message. And um, all the journalists, of course, I don't blame them. What a great story. Yeah. Uh, So-called security expert has his account pwned. Yeah. So they never got my password, but they did manage to post some Nazi spam from my account, which obviously I deleted. And I I revoked Twitter counters access to my account. And that's something which I'd oh. recommend everybody do is you should regularly check your Twitter account, look at all the third-party apps. And if it's, a vanity, if it's a vanity app and not an app that you absolutely need, think twice before hooking it up to one of your lifelines online. Exactly. Well, let's also just say that, as we all know, misery loves companions. Uh, not only Graham was hacked, but also Justin Bieber, the exactly. Forbes. Um, and I'm kind of terrified. The, 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 cyber, the cyber security czar, Jason Bieber. <laughs> The Beebs, the Beebster. Yeah, so it's, yeah, but uh, now, of course, I'm terrified because you mentioned this, and I immediately go to Twitter counter, which I think I've used in the past, but I can't actually remember, and I'm signing in, and guess what? It could not connect to Twitter, so... 
Now I'm yeah. really nervous. So I think Twitter counter for now has gone down the plug hole. Their website seems to have gone down. I think they decided they just they didn't need to pull the plug, basically, um, because they clearly have a problem. Turns out they were actually hacked around about four or five months ago as well, and on, uh, and that affected less accounts. And I wish really that I'd acted then because I should have done. It can happen to any of us. Do you think and, it's a uh, problem, though, that there's these kind of tiny little companies that offer tiny little services, but in order for you to use them, you do have to offer and give them read and write access sometimes to your contacts or to your photos or to your microphone and well, you know yeah. often i don't think we think enough about that and then if we stop using it we don't disconnect them and i i think it's not just a problem with the likes of twitter of course it's also a problem when you install apps on your mobile phone so if you're installing for instance an android flashlight application here's a classic example it doesn't need access to your contacts and your address list it doesn't need to know yeah. where you are in the world if it's asking for things like that chances are it's trying to monetize you in some fashion by displaying adverts for instance and so we all do need to be very careful about these things i certainly certainly Three or four years ago, when I when I uh, attached Twitter counter to my Twitter account, I thought it was a legitimate service. I still believe it was meant to be a legitimate service. Unfortunately, they were a bit rubbish at security, and as a result, it was my name which was pulled through the mud. Yeah, and that's that's of course the problem is we leave so much in others' hands, and that becomes this, this third party problem uh, that we deal with in security. I'm sorry, that's that's. Uh I think that's the White House calling me about my new cybersecurity job, uh, a cybersecurity czar, which... I can't can't believe you're using this podcast to advertise your availability for the post. This is his official announcement. Just, 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 Just to fill all the listeners in, before we started, I said, wouldn't it be a funny joke to apply to the Trump administration? Because, you know, they have something like 17,000 positions open. And just apply to become a cybersecurity czar as a gag. And then I thought, well, then for the rest of my life, I will be associated as Trump's cybersecurity czar. Probably not good positioning, but I thought it would be just a gag. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I apologize for my phone ringing in the background, but... um, you know, we have very important things that go on here at my home office. People calling me constantly with offers for my uh, lawn service and other things, which uh, great relevancy to this podcast. Any road, let's move on. And I wanted to bring to your attention another story from the Twitter sphere: uh, assault with a deadly tweet. Because, um, well, I'll give to you what initially happened. There is a Newsweek political journalist. His name is Kurt Eichenwald. And um, he appears on the news from time to time. And he appeared actually on Fox News. Because okay. he's claimed in the past that uh, the then president-elect Donald Trump, friend of the show, um, had spent some time in a mental institution. I don't know if that's true or not. But anyway, he went on Fox News and he was discussing this. And it was a fairly rambunctious conversation which he was having uh, with the uh, anchor man on Fox News. And it obviously riled up some of the audience. And what happened was one of the viewers tweeted the journalist, Kurt Eichenwald, and they okay. sent him an animated GIF, an animated GIF of a strobing light alongside a message which said, you deserve a seizure for your posts. A now, seizure? Uh, yeah. because how, seizure? A seizure. <laughs> Sorry. What's wrong with how I'm I just, saying seizure? I, I wouldn't have known what you meant. So Hail just, Caesar. Yeah. Just for those who speak English, seizure. <laughs> seizure again. 
Okay, right. carry on. So you deserve a seizure for your post. Now, Eichenwald has previously talked about how he suffers from photosensitive oh epilepsy. Oh, my gosh. Right? And when he viewed the flashing image... No. ...so the animated GIF, he suffered a seizure. A seizure. Okay. Isn't that what I'm saying? Seizure. <laughs> now, his wife, it, this happened at his home. His wife came across him, she pieced together what had happened. She called the police. And this week, agents in Maryland have arrested a 29-year-old um, who's thought to have sent the tweet. And the guy they've arrested, they believe he sent a number of other messages to Twitter users, sort of direct okay. messages saying, hey, hey, I hope this sends him into a seizure. And I spammed this out. Let's see if he dies and I know he has epilepsy. In fact, the police went into his iCloud account and they claim that they found a screenshot of the victim's Wikipedia page showing a fake obituary with his date of death being the one when the tweet was sent oh. and also screenshots from epilepsy.com. So I don't know this journalist, so he must be right. pretty politically... Uh, does he Does he have a you know, strong political point of view that... Oh, in particular... Well, he's particularly anti-Trump. And yeah. uh, you can go on YouTube and maybe we'll include some links. We could even include a link to the actual interview in question, which happened on this day, which maybe mm. spurred this particular attack. Um, but clearly, he's not going to be on Donald Trump's Christmas card list. Let's put it that way. And his supporters, as we know, uh, want to defend the commander in chief. And some of them may well take things into their own hands, which clearly is the wrong thing to do. But <laughs> well, thank I, you. Thank you, Papa Cluley. Yeah. But I, I, I've never really considered before. I mean, I'm lucky enough I don't suffer from epilepsy, but I've never really considered before that, of course, you could have an attack from yeah, an animated yeah. GIF. Yeah. And in fact, when, when I was uh, researching this story, I discovered that there have been attacks a bit like this in the past. In fact, in 2008, the Epilepsy Foundation's website was defaced by hackers who planted rapidly flashing images on the site, which were then displayed to site visitors. You know, It's real sort of 4chan activity, isn't it? Yeah. It's a real sort of troll-like thing to do. But this sort of thing happens. And since the attack happened on Eichenwald, more than 40 other people sent strobing images to his Twitter account, knowing that they could trigger seizures. And the details oh. of those, he's passed on to the FBI and, and told people, obviously, that uh, they may well be investigated as well. So Gee, what, what should yes. be done about this? That's what it's, I'm wondering. What can be done? Well, there's kind of a balance here. I mean, we're trying to, you know, maybe be responsible and people do have <laughs> this issue, but are we going to start getting too politically correct if we start to filter GIFs on Twitter? But if they're impacting physical health, I mean, you know, and the, and, and the tweets are being sent with deliberate intent. It's difficult, isn't it? Because obviously these are the sort of things which people will encounter in their normal everyday life. You know, you will find yourself in a situation where there might be strobing lights. You're watching television and quite often these days you will be warned if there's a lot of flashlight photography or if there are images. They, they, they will tell you before that part of the program is shown. Um, I did find out that in some browsers, Firefox for instance and uh, Internet Explorer, though disappointingly not Microsoft Edge or Chrome as far as I could see, you can turn off image animation which I believe will, will prevent the animated GIF from working. There's even an option inside Twitter. If you go into settings, you can go to your account section, scroll down to content and uncheck video autoplay, which will also, 
I believe, oh, yeah. prevent animated GIFs from happening as well. Alex, what are, what are your thoughts on animated GIFs? Well, first of all, I'm thankful that we're past March 15th, so we don't have to worry about the Ides of March for a Caesar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so bad. So I don't even, I don't even, I can't even believe I actually said that. Um, look, I mean, the internet, the internet will fail if we don't allow animated GIFs. I mean, that's, that's, I use animated GIFs all the time. Alex, it's, Alex, It's going to collapse Alex. the internet. The internet will be over. Alex, you've said it three <laughs> times now. I know Carol is thinking the same. Are you seriously going to call them GIFs and criticize me for the, my mispronunciation <laughs> of seizure? I was seizure? being polite because he's our guest. But I, I know. I was trying same. to be polite, but now I just feel like it's become an issue. Listeners are going to be screaming at their, at their iPhones saying, how come he's saying GIF? <clears throat> because in my day, that's what you called them. <laughs> Oh, yeah, everyone. He's 98. I think I did read somewhere that the inventor of the GIF file format did originally intend them to be pronounced GIF. Maybe we can link to that in the show notes as well. But it does seem to have been the accepted wisdom now that it's a GIF. I think you're deliberately being a bit of a hipster and a fogey, aren't you? I'm not that old. So all I'm saying is you can make changes to some browsers. You can change Twitter settings as well. But clearly, don't be an arse. You know, don't send... Images like this deliberately designed to cause seizures. You know, I, I think the people that send these know this. I don't think they're unaware that it's annoying and potentially dangerous. I think they're doing it in spite of that. And I it's mean, it's, it is potentially fatal. I mean, that's the serious... I mean, the, joking aside, right, this is potentially f- going to kill people. Yeah. It's the same with people messing with medical devices, you know, and IoT and medical devices and trying to infect those. It's just, it's really surprising and kind of, I don't know, I don't understand it at all. Yeah, well, it's it's absolutely revolting what this guy did. Uh, no matter your political beliefs, it's absolutely revolting. And I'm glad he got arrested. Um, and I think that, you know, but we do have to take a reasonable approach. Uh, I, I'm very empathetic and sympathetic to those who suffer from this disorder. Uh, but you know, they can turn these images off or turn the, the animated <clears throat> graphical interchain format files off. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, are you happy with that? Uh, he just researched it. I heard him. <laughs> no, I, I wasn't. I didn't research it, but um, <laughs> I'm going to mute everything from now on. I, I, I think we can just, we can, we can go too far. Alex, let's move on. What have you, what's piqued your interest this week? What do you want to talk to us about? I, I'm on a personal sort of thing about uh, about spear fishing uh, mm-hmm. and, and fishing in general. So, um, a company that I, I know of, uh, actually one of our our neighbors in our building, was in a total panic because they'd gotten some ransomware. And uh, now, fortunately, it didn't infect; it only infected one server. But the the fact that the ransomware got in there was was pretty disturbing. And of course, a lot of this right. comes through social engineering. It comes through an email. Click here. Now, when you look at the problem of phishing, we go, okay, well, phishing's bad. But actually, uh, you know, we don't talk about the fact that the biggest problem in security is three inches back of the forehead. It is the problem of three inches. Three inches. That's well, I don't know. Whatever. It's. <laughs> Wherever you define the presence of the mind, I don't know. But the, the point is, people make the mistakes. And I remember a stat years ago, you know, 80% of all malware attacks occur because of social engineering. Yeah. 
And, and if you look at it, I mean, how are you going to hack someone's account? How are you going to do it? You're not going to be able to go in and, and do a dictionary attack uh, uh, where you just keep throwing different passwords at, at Gmail. It won't let you. What you're going to have to do if you wanted to grab someone's Gmail account, for example, or do something nefarious, is you're going to want to get control of that account. And the only way they really get control of that account is by social engineering. Um, you know, we saw this happen last year with uh, John Podesta, who was the advisor to Hillary Clinton. And, yep. uh, you know, he got an email that said, hey, you know, you need to reset your password. <laughs> and, well, he ended up by clicking that. And it was a very, very convincing email. Um, I mean, I, I saw it and I... Many of us would probably be fooled, um, although I'm, I'm extremely cautious about this stuff. But the normal person, John Podesta, not a cybersecurity expert, mm-hmm. uh, clicked on the link, reset his password, yeah. and immediately gave control of that Gmail box to the hackers. Uh, we presume those hackers are Russians. Uh, and there went uh, all that data to WikiLeaks. Um, and, of course, we have this you know recent news item where a single spear phishing click caused this massive Yahoo data breach. Uh, this stuff is serious, and um, and I think that the security awareness training field, of which I admit that I, I have a bit of a bias, I'm on the board of, of one of the security awareness training companies, but I'm not talking about this company. I'm talking about the general field in, gen- in general. When mm. I see the statistics of how many people click on these emails, you know, security awareness training companies send out fake emails to employees they're run yeah. by the IT department. They click on these emails. I think you've had even a yeah. sponsor on it previously that was doing this. It's yeah. a great service. Um, they click on these emails, and then they get a little training video or some sort of, um, you know, some sort of message that hey, you clicked on something bad, and here's why you shouldn't do that. Uh, and you know, I've seen numbers into the into the teens. You know, 12, 15, 14, 15 percent of the employees will click on these things, but after they run these campaigns for a while the number goes dramatically down. I'm a huge fan of this. Um, we actually did it internally at, at uh, my company that, I, I, um, that I'm at now, and it was fantastic. Um, I had an employee come to me and say, you know, now I really understand why I shouldn't click on these links. Yeah. But the average person doesn't. The, the, I'm sure the subscribers of these podcasts do, but the rest of the world doesn't. Because, and I, I think the pedestrian example is a classic example of this, quite often, chances are you're not going to be targeted by a state-sponsored attack. It's not going to involve zero-day vulnerabilities. It's not going to be all that really nerdy stuff. The way in which the attacker is going to get your password is simply by asking for it. And if they use the right social engineering, they will trick someone. Yeah, like they might, for example, call you up saying, hi, I'm from the IT desk. We need your password because there's a flaw in your machine. Yeah. They send you a link and you're logging in and you yep. don't you you don't tell the difference between the real Google login page and the fake one. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And oh, by the way, um, Graham, I just to help you with this little Nazi thing you had going on on Twitter. <laughs> can I can I get your password? Just I'm just gonna check on something. I'll- Identity papers bitter, I believe is the phrase. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've just but, lost our German audience. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, so I don't know. I, I think if, if 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 there's a discussion to be had, it's the fact that the vast, vast, vast majority of people don't even realize. I mean, okay, there's the obvious in larger body parts or click on this bank link or come to Nigeria or whatever. Those are the obvious ones. But the not so obvious ones are, hey, this is Jill from accounting. Uh, can you update right. your up payroll records? And those are the ones that scare the 
the, the producer side. And there is so much information that the attacker may have already gleaned about your company, whether it be from LinkedIn or whether it be from a data breach at another organization. Exactly. Where, you know, that they may have details about you. They may know where you live. They may know what your job role is inside the company. And so they can forge the email to look so convincing. But the poor listener, right? We're just basically fud, 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 fear and doubt. Like it's yeah. scary. It's hard to see them. So, you know, and it's, it's, it's hard to tell people how to avoid them because they are so sneaky. Well, the thing that we do is if you get an email that asks you to log into uh, your payroll service uh, or something that you and, and it, it, you just email the person back and say, did you send this? And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I even, I'm, I even know of a security company. The CEO got an email from the CFO saying, "Hey, can you uh, go ahead and approve this bank wire?" Mm. Okay, that was a spoofed address, meaning they they put the person's yeah. name. So they, you can go to LinkedIn, you can go to any company and find out who the CFO is and who the CEO is, and you just get that name and you spoof it because uh, the yeah. the mail the, the mail transfer protocol service SMTP allows spoofing. It's it's uh, it's trivial, and then you can just send that email as a CFO. Um, I'm not divulging any great secret here. Any hacker knows these tricks, and the point is, email back or email the person and say, "Did you send this? Are you?" Or sure? maybe even phone them. You know, because if yeah, you are if you exactly. are emailing a fake address, maybe it's slightly different. Okay, mm-hmm. maybe there's a one instead of an L or something like that. So it's mm-hmm. it's hard to tell the difference in the font. If you phone them, especially if it's an unusual request, then you can perhaps you know confirm whether it's it, it, it is them or not. Or because and the other possibility, of course, is that their real email account may have been hacked. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, so that, that's why I'm saying maybe a, a f- phoning is a good idea too. Um, Absolutely. Or using your links in that you have bookmarked, not using the link inside the email. And having, yes, that's good. And having two-step verification turned on on accounts. Mm-hmm. So even if hackers do ever manage to get your passwords, they will be more limited as to the damage which they can do with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and so we talk about social engineering from an electronic standpoint, but there's also social engineering from a physical standpoint. Mm. And, you know, I sit on the board with a fellow by the name of Kevin Mitnick, who he's terrifying to be in a board meeting with. I mean, I will, I will um, be in the board meeting, I'll lean over to my laptop, and I'll start to type something, and then he seems to perk up. And I'm always very nervous because... Is he running Wireshark on the network? Is he? He has a certain history, doesn't he? <laughs> the guy, he's a fascinating. I'm, I'm, of course, I'm being facetious. He's he's a very ethical hacker. He's a fascinating individual. But um, the 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 physical security stuff. And let's just start with a simple thing. Um, there's a USB drive out now. I'm sorry, a USB stick mm-hmm. that will overload the capacitors in the machine and kill the machine. Yeah. So you've probably heard this story. You maybe even covered it before. Um, yeah. That you can just so you know you can uh, and it's it's unfortunately common. Of course, uh, these these studies have been done. I mean, they were done quite a while ago. But uh, where you know some researchers would just go ahead and throw a bunch of USB sticks out in a parking lot, and, and people pick them up and they grab them. Well, that could have malware in it. Could have all kinds of junk, or it could have something that blows the capacitors and destroys your machine. Um, there's uh, there's tricks to all kinds of physical access tricks that, that can be used. So, you know, yeah. it's just, it, it's not to, again, I don't want to scare people. And I always hate the fact that in security, we end up scaring people to death because the world is actually generally safe out there and security has gotten a lot better. But um, just a bit of education goes a tremendously long way. And it's just general caution. 
I think so. I think we're not trying to scare. We're trying to raise awareness and educate mm. about these threats because actually the internet and computers bring us so much, so much positive stuff. And we want people to be able to use them in a positive way and to make their companies more successful as a result. So we have to be aware of some of these threats. So don't have nightmares, but uh, be aware that some of these things go on and j just be a little bit cynical and questioning sometimes, I think is a good piece of yeah. advice as well. Okay, um, Crow, what have you got for us? Um, so this is about the UK government that they've just announced an in-cabin ban on laptops and tablets on direct flights to the UK from uh, named countries, uh, or actually namely uh, Turkey, Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt, Tunisia and Saudi Arabia. Um, the concern that's cited is that bombs could be hidden in a series of these devices and some of these devices. And Downing Street has said it's necessary, effective and proportionate, quote unquote. So this basically says to me, what the government's saying that is that we have a huge reason to be doing this and causing this disruption, but we can't tell you what it is. And I guess it comes down to whether you trust the government or not as to what's going on. And it's not just the UK government, the US government. No, I was government just going to say, yeah. yeah, US government's done it as well. Now, the, the ruling is are kind of a little bit different because the UK one actually mm -hmm. applies to national carriers. So BA, EasyJet, Monarch, Th Thomas Cook, all those, they're impacted by this. So if they're having any direct flights from these countries to the UK, this ban is going to be in effect. The U.S., however, have only named uh, targeted airlines that operate from the affected countries as opposed to uh, U.S.-based carriers. What's affected? So smartphones are still allowed, right? So tra travelers can travel with things as small as smartphones. Game consoles and DVD players seem to be okay. But there's a big red X for devices uh, like uh, phablets, readers, tablets, laptops. Um, and they're saying they have to go into the hold, right? So... This raises right. the whole, con and the reason is, remember, we were talking about, you know, bombs. So, you know, this leads me to ask, you know, can't, don't bombs often go off remotely? <laughs> yeah, I mean, right? some of the, I mean, I'm, I'm no, I'm no bomb maker. Well, right. um, but I mean, I, sometimes you, you will get, I believe, bombs which will trigger based upon the height of the aeroplane, you know, they'll be able to work out how high they are in the air and then trigger. Um, and so being in the hold would, for instance, I imagine, just work just as successfully. If, or if a fire ignited in the hold, that's going to be kind of difficult to deal with, isn't it? I think normally on a passenger airplane, people in the cabin can't gain access to the hold, can they? No, and that's a really good point, because actually one commenter on the story in Slashdot said that this was especially weird because he's not allowed to put his laptop into checked luggage because they don't allow lithium-ion batteries in the hold because of the fire implications. Right. So there's a weird uh, a weird situation here. Yeah, but who hasn't shipped their laptop at some point in the hold? I know I have. I, I didn't even know it was a problem. So Yeah, I hate doing it. I like having all my devices with me. Of course. Really, yeah, because they're expensive. You know, that's the other thing. And you don't want getting damaged or stolen or anything like that or getting lost in transit. What, what really bugs me more about this mm. is that we keep fighting yesterday's battle. And, you know, if, if, you know people who've gone to Israel and gone through the security procedures at, at, at the Israeli airports, they really see security in action because the security forces in Israel are looking for patterns, behavior, intelligence, they're doing a lot more than uh, just randomly pulling out people's water bottles and, uh, and, uh, and laptops. I mean, I, I really begin to wonder. And, you know, the, the failures of security have tended to be, at, at least for, for physical airport security, have tended to be intelligence failures. 
Well, we don't know so the now, reasons, right? We don't know why these announcements have been made um, at this point. Pre- presumably, yeah. they're working on some intelligence that they believe exactly. some bad guys are going to put something explosive into an electronic device, and they're thinking, well, you know, it's going to be bigger than a, an iPhone SE, for instance, but it's going to be a big, fat device or a laptop or something like that. And I, I believe there have been... Uh, instance in the past where they've discovered sort of hard to detect explosives hidden inside electronic devices which haven't been picked up so they've got this intelligence maybe they're worried that the security arrangements at some in some countries airports are not sufficient so it's not like being in israel for instance where they take security really darn seriously and so they're worried that because of lack security people might get on board those planes and might be carrying these things i get all that i kind of understand all that what worries me is the logic of but it's all right to put it in the hold right yeah it doesn't make any sense does it there and i mean it makes me because i don't want to put things into the hold or delicate because it'll be thrown around and you know treated like luggage gets treated and And imagine you're just going for a meeting so what all you're taking is your laptop you're going for like maybe two days and an overnight so now you have to check it in and you can't work on the plane um whilst you're getting there so there's going to be disruption that is going to impact everybody what if people for example don't go you know you know how you go through airport security you dump your luggage off to go into the hold and then you go through airport security and they go oh you have a laptop you can't bring that on you know on uh, on the plane what do you do do you just like a water bottle throw it away like how, how what's the procedure for that so there's going to be a lot of confusion so leave more time for travel if you're going to these countries or coming from those countries in the near future which you always would anyway um but it's just 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 to look at the figures. I just pulled them up. Um, mm-hmm. It's six point three inches in length and three point six inches in width. Sorry, what is Alex? What are you referring to? <laughs> oh, I see. I see. I'm still, still, you haven't. Heard that. I'm not going to. I'm not going to even go down that path that you just laid out for me. <laughs> what is the what is the significance of six point three inches in length and three point six inches in width? And <laughs> you know what it will be. There will be some bigwig who has a beloved smart device, <laughs> which, <laughs> which he refuses to put into the hold because he needs to play solitaire or whatever it is on his flight. And so he said, "Well, if it's any bigger than this." Well, we, I tell you, you've done these long flights. I mean, I've gone to Dubai. You've gone to Dubai. I mean, those are long flights. I mean, wow. Yeah. To not have, to just have your smartphone with you. Wow. You know what I'm thinking, though? What the real danger is? What <laughs> no that? one's actually considering is kids. Yeah. Because you know what it can be like for parents with children on a long flight. Mm. And the only thing you can do is give them the opium of the iPad to entertain them. Well, and, loads right? of air- and they yeah. are going to be going feral on the planes. Yeah. And loads of airlines have removed now the screens on the back of the seats because everyone's traveling with laptops and, uh, oh, really? and you know, video devices. So new planes don't even have them anymore. I think if kids start traveling on these long flights without some form of distraction, it is basically going to turn into a zombie apocalypse. It's going to be like the walking dead. <laughs> Who was talking about fear, uncertainty, and doubt? There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Carol. And thank you as well, Alex, for joining us today on today's Smashing Security. We really appreciate it. Thank you for spending time with us. We hope you won't be a stranger and you'll... uh, Come again. Come again soon. Thank Um, you so much, everyone. And I hope, folks listening, that you enjoyed the podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can leave a review. You can uh, listen to us on all kinds of different podcast services, uh, including now iHeartRadio as well. So check us out and subscribe. 
And thank you to our sponsors, Recorded Future, who provide a cyber daily newsletter to get all the latest cyber threat insights. Go to recordedfuture.com slash intel. And who knows, they might even help you with nightmares on vampire cats. And uh, that just about wraps it up. Thanks for tuning in. If you like the show, please tell your friends and maybe follow us on Twitter. We are at Smash In Security. That's Smash In without a G security. And until next time, bye bye to Lou. Bye. bye.